Hey, let's get into our study today. We are in part four of this Taste and See series. Uh, If you have missed previous weeks, if you weren't here, we'd love for you to jump on our podcast uh, through Google Play or um, Apple and, you know, find it, get involved in it. You just got to put Pathway Church San Diego and you'll find our podcast. And um, I would love for you to listen to kind of catch up because you've kind of Next week's going to be the last week of it. You're kind of coming in on the end of the movie kind of thing. And so you want to make sure that you understand where we've been coming from and, and what we've been talking about. But there's something that I have realized. I've realized that, that many people have a view of God that isn't true. And I don't know if you've ever noticed that or been a, around people and you've thought that. But many people have a view of God that isn't true, maybe because of a bad experience in church. Unfortunately, it happens. Maybe because of a bad experience with a Christian, which that happens as well. Maybe because of something bad they faced in life. Um, Maybe because of how they were raised or because of relationships they experienced. Maybe because of their relationship with their father. Maybe because they didn't have a father. Uh, Somewhere along the way, Because of our background, because of our culture, because of our experiences, many of us have adopted a view of God that isn't true. And and you need to know that your view of God affects you more than you realize. It really does. I mean, not not, um, just if you are a follower of Jesus. It it, it affects anyone, and it, it affects us in a way that dictates so much about us. Theologian A.W. Tozer, who's a great author, wrote this, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Hmm. Unfortunately, what comes into most of our minds when we think about God is a distorted jumble of inaccurate views about who God is. Um, I, I think there's one quality of God that we, not just people in general, but we we fail to realize the most. I want you to get this down in your outline. If if you got that right in front of you, it's in your brochure. I'd love for you to follow along and fill in the blanks and stuff. Get this down. Too often we fail to realize that God is good. Say it with me. God is good. I, I, um, I think throughout scripture, it's common to read this. We We see it in so many different places. If you've ever read through the Bible, you see it in the Old Testament and the New Testament. The psalmist invites us to taste and see that the Lord is good. Read that one with me. Taste and see. There we go. Come on, let's do it together. Taste and see that the Lord is good. This is the verse that we've been using throughout this series. Um, We also read in Psalm 100, the Lord is good, his unfailing love continues forever, and his faithfulness continues to each generation. The prophet declares in Nahum that the Lord is good, a strong refuge when trouble comes. He is close to those who trust in him. And even Jesus himself in Mark 10 says, only God is good. Wow. God is good. Good is is the very essence of, of God's nature, of who he is. God is the original definition of good. God is good. Say it with me again. God is good. In the Old Testament, God reveals this about himself. In a passage found in Exodus 33, Moses had been called by God to lead his people into the promised land, but he didn't want to go unless he knew that God was going to be with him. And in a conversation that he was having with God, God promised that he would go with him, but Moses was still uncertain 
uncertain. And so look at what Moses says. He says, then show me your glorious presence. And the Lord replied, I will make all my, what? Goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. I want you to think about that for just a minute. In revealing himself to Moses, God said, I will make all my goodness pass before you. When God passed before Moses um, the next morning on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34, and uh, you can look up that text, God um, um, reveals his, he says, his compassion, his mercy, his love, his faithfulness, his forgiveness. He reveals all of these things. All of these attributes are summed up in what he calls his goodness. In the New Testament, Jesus tells a story, a parable, which points out the goodness of God. And you may have missed it if you've ever read this parable in Matthew 20. You may have missed the goodness of God part, but we're going to catch it at the end here. Take a look. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a person who owned some land. In this story, in the parable, the owner represents God. So get that in your head. One morning, the owner went out very early to hire some people to work in his vineyard. The man agreed to pay the workers one coin for working that day. Then he sent them into the vineyard to work. About nine o'clock, the man went to the marketplace and saw some other people standing there doing nothing. So he said to them, if you go and work in my vineyard, I will pay you what your work is worth. So they went to work in the vineyard. The man went out again about 12 o'clock and three o'clock and did the same thing. And about five o'clock, the man went to the marketplace again and saw others standing there. And he asked them, why did you stand here all day doing nothing? And they said, no one gave us a job. And the man said to them, then you can go and work in my vineyard. At the end of the day, the owner of the vineyard said to the boss of all the workers, call the workers together and pay them. Start with the last people I hired, and end with those I hired first. When the workers who had hired at, were hired at five o'clock came to get their pay, each received one coin. When the workers who were hired first came to get their pay, they thought they would be paid more than the others. But each one of them also received one coin. When they got their coin, they complained to the man who owned the land. They said, those people were hired last and worked only one hour, but you paid them the same as you paid us who worked hard all day in the hot sun. But the man who owned the vineyard said to one of those workers, friend, I am being fair to you. You agreed to work for one coin. So take your pay and go. I want, notice this, I want, that's big. I want to give the man who was hired last the same pay that I gave you. I can do what I want with my own money. Notice this. Are you jealous because I am good to those people? Now, there's, there's a lot in this passage and in this parable. But, but Jesus is pointing to the goodness of God. God's goodness is defined in Scripture in two specific ways. God is good in character, who he is, and God does good things, what he does. The psalmist tells us this. He's speaking to God, and he says to God, you are good and do only good. Huh. So when you think about this, it makes sense. I mean, a person proves his character by his actions, right? We all know that. I mean, you can say one thing, but if you're not living it, if your walk doesn't match your what? Talk, 
then it proves that you're not that person. You're not actually living that. You're, you don't have that character. A person proves his character by his actions. And we can see this connection between goodness and God's other attributes all throughout what he does in Scripture and what he does in our lives experientially. I mean, when, when his goodness, God's goodness, gives of itself sacrificially, you know what we call it? We call it love. When God's goodness shows favor to the, the guilty and the undeserving, we call it grace. When God's love reaches out to relieve the distressed and help them, it's called mercy. When God's love removes our guilt, you know what we call it? We call it forgiveness. Huh. All through God's goodness is found who he is, all that he is, all that he does. Scripture reveals some very specific times and very specific things about the goodness of God. I mean, we know this, get this down, God reveals his goodness in his creation. I mean, six times in the book of Genesis, in the Genesis account, the beginning of mankind, the beginning of human history, what we believe to be that, six times in the Genesis account, God said that what he made was good. And then finally, in verse 31, we read, God looked over all that he had made and saw that it was what? Very good. I mean, even though mankind, we, even though we have managed to mess this up, the thing that he created um, considerably, our world was good the way God made it. And it still reflects his goodness. I mean, think about it. Blue skies with white, puffy clouds by day. Have you ever seen skies like that? One thing that I like living here in San Diego is the sunsets that we have, the beautiful pinks and orange sunsets that we get occasionally. They're, 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 they're spectacular. Um, sparkling stars at night, if you, we won't see them so much here, but we, we go to uh, Colorado to visit my in-laws quite often, and man, the stars are just there. You could just touch them. Um, it's, it's gorgeous, glistening snow-covered mountain peaks, trees with beautiful colors, um, multicolored flowers that have fragrances that just create this aroma. The beauty of earth reminds us of God's goodness. Another way is God reveals his goodness through everyday blessings. The psalmist David writes this, the Lord is good to everyone. Come on, read that with me. The Lord is good to everyone. Let me ask you a question. Who's included in everyone? Everyone. I mean, turn the person next to you and just tell them you're included. You're, you're included. The Lord is good to you. Yeah, even you. That's right. That's right. I mean, I, I'm just going to say this. I think this is one of the most um, overlooked and taken for granted things about God that we fail to see, we fail to recognize, we fail to remember and realize his goodness. I think one of the most important ways that God reveals his, his goodness is through his son, Jesus. The apostle Paul tells us that Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Wow. Wow. I mean, when we see Jesus in the pages of Scripture, we see the goodness of God. Jesus demonstrates 
God's desire to help and to love and to forgive and to heal, all of these things that he does. The Apostle Paul tells us that God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. That's the goodness of God. Jesus' death on a cross for us is a clear picture of the goodness of God. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. Nothing we can do will earn that. It's been given for us. God is good. He gave his son to take our hell and give us heaven. God shows his goodness toward you in, I think, the biggest way possible. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. I love this verse in Romans 8. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Isn't that beautiful? God is good to us. God is good to me. He's good to you. In so many ways, it's impossible to cover all of them. But I've experienced God's goodness, and I believe that many of us in this room have. I've experienced God's goodness in two specific ways, and this is what I wanted to highlight today. The first that I have experienced is that God is good to me when I sin. I want you to get that down because this affects all of us. In Romans 2, Paul challenges all of us. Look what he says. Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? Now, at first read, we may think that Paul is talking to those that do not know Jesus, that have never started, began a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. But actually, Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome. And in Romans 1, he, he describes what it's like to live a life that is apart from God. And then he starts this conversation in Romans 2 about believers, followers of Jesus who are judging those who do not know God. And, and he says to us as followers of Jesus, he says, can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from sin? And I'd like to add and turn you to him. I want you to circle that word kindness in your, in your outline, on your outline. It's an interesting word. It's translated from a Greek word. The original language is written in Koine Greek, and then it's translated into English so that we can have it. It's krestosis, which means goodness. So literally, we could replace that word kindness with goodness, and it would read, can't you see that his goodness is intended to turn you from your sin?" Now, I don't know about you, but when I think about my sin, I don't, I don't think about God's goodness. I think about judgment and penalty and consequences. That's where my mind naturally goes. And to be honest, if you were to ask anyone on the street, that's where their mind would go. That God is the judge. That God will be the one who will punish you. But Paul's saying here that God's goodness is given in our lives so that it would turn us away from our sinful tendencies, our sinful habits, our lifestyles, and turn us to him. If you don't know what that's called, there's a, there's a real um, official word for this. It's called repentance. To, to repent means to, 
to make a, a 180 degree turn, to, to turn away from one thing and turn to something else. And that's what Paul's talking about here. And he's saying the thing that leads you to repentance more than anything else is God's goodness. It's not being afraid of God's judgment. It's not being afraid of the consequences that are going to come. It's God's goodness. That's what leads us to him. Can't we see that? You see why it's so important for us to have this view of God's goodness so strong and prevalent in our minds. Because it affects how we live. It affects our heart. It affects how we follow him. God's goodness is shown to me, to you, when we sin. But also, I've experienced that God is good to me in every situation. You say, wow, that's a big statement, Bart. Every situation? Every situation. Paul says, we know that God causes, to, causes everything to work together for the, what? Good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. Now that is an easy verse to read when the sun is shining and everything is great. And if you're having one of those weeks, I'm so glad for you, but not everybody in this room is having one of those weeks. Maybe because, you know, we, we rather read this, this passage of saying that God causes some things to work together for our good because that's the way it feels at times. I mean, come on, let's be honest. It doesn't always feel good, does it? To follow Christ? I mean, are you only facing good things in your life or are you facing life? I just said last night to our kids, we were sitting around talking and I said, you know, one of the things that I hope that you see and understand is life is hard. And, and you cannot avoid that truth. Now, life can be really good at times, and unfortunately, life can be really bad at times. And we all have had our degrees of that in our lives, our valleys and our mountains. We've all had that. But Paul says that God causes everything, everything, You know, it, it, it might not feel like God is good when your circumstances are hard and your options are few. This was David, the psalmist David, King David. This was, this was how he felt. This, this same guy who wrote our key passage for our series, if you don't know, David wrote Psalm 34, 8. Look at it again. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And you read that and you go, wow, David must have been having a great day. The sun was shining, the clouds were out, and everything was good. And he was saying, boy, just taste and see that the Lord is good. At first you think that David wrote this on a good day, but when you do what I did this week and you look at the context of when he wrote this, you get a way different picture. I want, you to, I want you to look at the subtitle, and it should be in every Bible. If you have a Bible, you can look it up. But this is what my Bible said, the subtitle. Take a look right here on the screen. Psalm 34. So this is the same. This is where taste and see that the Lord is good came from. Psalm 34. Look what it says. A Psalm of David. Well, that's nice. Regarding the time he pretended. What? Pretended to be insane. 
what? In front of the king of Gath who sent him away. And that's a really strange subtitle for a Psalm 34, right? So I'm like, okay, we got to back up the context on this. And let's, let's see, let's understand. So if you don't know the story of David, David is really known for killing this Philistine champion named who? Goliath, right? And King Saul, because of what he saw David do and was so thrilled at David, he put David in charge. King Saul put David in charge of the entire Israelite army. Uh, army, army. Where'd that come from? Army. And when David was going out to battle, he had victory in every battle because God was blessing David. And Saul became worried because David was the one whom the women of Israel were singing about. They were singing this song about David. David has killed, I'm sorry, Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his 10,000s. They were giving accolade and acclaim to David in ways that it made King Saul worried and jealous about keeping his throne. And Saul became committed to wiping out this potential successor. To the point when David was in Saul's throne room, twice this happened. David was there with Saul and Saul tried to spear David to the wall. He missed twice. And finally, King Saul issues a kill order to his men. Look what it says in 1 Samuel 19. Saul urged his servants to assassinate David. Hmm. So David's running for his life. Would you? I would. He's looking for refuge. He's looking for a place to hide, a place to live and survive. And it says... David escaped from Saul and went to the king of Gath. Oh, there's the guy, the king of Gath that that subtitle was talking about. Look at this. But the king's officers were unhappy about David being there. Isn't this David, they asked, isn't he the one who the people honor with dances and singing? Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. Let me stop and just tell you, Gath is a Philistine city. And of all places, (laughs) Goliath, the guy that David killed, guess where his hometown was? Gath. So here's David in the hometown of Goliath among Philistine soldiers who are saying, this is the guy who killed all these Philistines. What's he doing here? Look what we read. David heard these comments and was afraid of what the king might do to him, so he pretended to be insane, scratching on doors and drooling down his beard. Finally, the king said to his men, must you bring me a madman? We already have enough of them around here. This made me laugh right there. It's like, wow, okay. Why should I let someone like this be my guest? So David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. Friends, this was the context of Psalm 34. This is what David was facing. In the midst of crisis, David writes these words, probably alone in a cave. 
This is what he writes. I will praise the Lord at all times. At all times? I will constantly speak his praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all my fears. In my desperation I prayed. And the Lord listened. He saved me from all my troubles. Come on, read it with me. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Look at this last part. Oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. It's, it's easy to affirm the goodness of God in the abstract. But David affirms his experience of God's goodness from a place of crisis. David had experienced the goodness of God and he trusted in it. How do I know that? Because he tells us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Even when life feels like it's exploding, even when life feels like it's caving in on me, when I'm running for my life, when things are out of control, when I don't know what to do, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now what's interesting about this is I think in these words we find that David calls us to respond. He's saying, look, you, the, the goodness of God is here. And you have to respond to this. You can't just taste it and see it without responding to it. You, you have to respond to the goodness of God. And I think the first thing is, as I recognize the goodness of God in my life, I should turn to him. I want you to get that down on your outline. You should turn to him. This is what you are to do. It's what I'm to do. We should turn to him when we see the goodness of God. God's goodness is meant for us to turn to him. We've already read the passage that Paul wrote. Look what it says. Can't you see that his kindness, his goodness, can't you see that this is intended to turn you from sin? To turn you where? To turn you to him. And so when you experience the goodness of God, when you stop, and I hope you've, you know, last week I asked you to, to, to answer two questions throughout the week. What is God doing in your life now? And what has God done for you in the past? And, and I hope that in seeing the goodness of God in your life, now that we've seen it, now that we recognize it, I hope that today we would turn to him. And you say, well, I'm already a follower of Jesus. Turn to him more. Follow him more. Obey him more. Go as he calls you to go. Do what he tells you to do. That we would turn to him more. I mean, I, I would think that logically, <laughs> apart from emotions and spirituality, and I'm just thinking logically, if, if we experience something that is so good, wouldn't you want more of it? I would. I do. I've been telling God all week, I see your goodness in my life. And I have taken this for granted. And, I, and this year in 2020, I don't, I don't want to take this for granted anymore. I want to push forward in this. I want more of him in my life. More of his plan and his purpose in my life. Stop for a moment. Just 
Just look around you. Take notice of the goodness of God in your life. And turn to him. His kindness, his goodness turns us from sin, turns us to him. Next on your outline, I recognize the goodness of God in my life. As I do that, I should trust him. Not just turn to him, but trust him. God's goodness is meant to cause you to trust him. We live in a world where bad things happen to good people, and we know that, and maybe you've experienced this in your life or in the lives of loved ones around you. Sometimes our circumstances make us question how God really, is he really good? Why does he do what happens? Why does he allow things? I, I had this thought this week that some of us believe that God is good, but we're not, I'm sorry, that God is God, but we're not convinced that God is good. Some of us say, yeah, I believe in God and I go to church and all that, but I'm just, I'm not sure about the good part because I've experienced some pretty bad things in my life. Problem is, when we question the goodness of God, which, by the way, the enemy of, this, of your soul, Satan, wants you to question the goodness of God. He wants you to do it. He, he got Eve to question the goodness of God in the Garden of Eden. Satan implied that God was being less than good for denying her this particular fruit. Probably the first quality of God to be attacked in human history, and we've been challenging the goodness of God ever since, right? I mean, we ask questions like, how can a good God allow evil to exist in our world? How can God permit disease and suffering and poverty and hunger and prejudice and greed and exploitation and crime and violence and war and catastrophe and destruction? It's difficult to understand how human tragedy can possibly be good. And frankly, we may never fully understand things. I mean, not only are we told that God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts in Isaiah 55, but we, but we also know, friends, sin isn't God's fault. God gave mankind, God gives you and I a free will and mankind chose sin originally. And we know that the sinful choices of people continue this pattern today. And so the cycle of sin continues and it brings its consequences into our broken world today because of what we and others choose to do. But through the written word, the Bible, and the living word, Jesus Christ, we can believe that everything about God is good, that there's nothing about God that isn't good, that everything that God does is good. And since God is good, he always has our best interests in mind, in focus. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. God will never let anything happen to us that is not for our good. And in saying that, 
I never want to downplay the pain of tragedy or loss or heartache. I know what it's like to face crisis. I know what it's like to face hardship. I, I know what it's like to stand at the grave of someone you love and say goodbye. I know what it's like to cry tears, and I know what it's like to worry and face sleepless nights, and I know what it is to pray and have my prayers go unanswered. But friends, I have experienced the goodness of God in my life enough that I am able to agree with what David wrote in another psalm that so moved me this week. I put it on my screensaver, my wallpaper on my phone. It so moved me this week. David said, I would have despaired had I not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That word despair, do you know what that means? It's not a word we use very often in our language. Despair means to have no hope. David was saying, I would have no hope if I couldn't believe in the goodness of God. I'm able to have hope because I've experienced the goodness of God in my life enough to know that God is good. My family and I, we have seen the goodness of God throughout the years enough to know that God is good. He is good to us. He is good to me. And when we become aware of God's goodness, it should cause you to want to taste and see that the Lord is good.